We've got uh, we've got that fresh new podcast smell this week too. Ooh, I didn't realize it smelled. Uh, you know, we've got the we've got the new music. Uh, we've got some well, maybe new names for old categories. Maybe some new categories. It's like season eleven is going to be awesome. Wait, are you recording? Because it, it kind of sounds like that was an intro. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. You've tuned in to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division III football. That's the largest division of the smallest schools. I'm Pat Coleman, the guy in charge of D3Football.com. My co-host, Keith McMillan, has been involved with the site since our debut season of 1999. Say hi, Keith. Hello. What's up? I don't want to say hi. I don't want to take orders from you. I mean, that's fair. That's not, that's, that's not necessary. Uh, also, welcome to our 10th anniversary podcast. Ten years ago today, uh, assuming you're listening to us on the day this goes live, Keith and I were sitting in a bus shelter outside the newspaper office where we both used to work, not super actually sheltered from the wind, recording a 10-minute podcast with a condenser mic on a pretty basic reporters-type recording device. Here in uh, podcast number 173, our technology has gotten a bit more advanced, and so has the production, at least. It's hard to believe we're still podcasting, but... Uh, Larry Karras is no longer the head coach at Mountain Union, and the Stag Bowl is leaving Salem. Frostburg State and Susquehanna, they've been in three conferences. RPI's had like 11 coaches, and we're still running the same podcast. (laughs) 11 coaches. That's about right, though. I I never thought we'd do this long enough that the years would run together, but it hasn't gotten old yet. So here we are doing our best to point out what's what when 249 teams play their 100 or so games each week while making up words and seeing if we can finish this in under an hour. Yeah, I'm willing to bet that one of those things will happen in this podcast and the other one won't. Uh, We're not going to spend much more time on the previous 172 podcasts right now, but we will come back later with some clips and some outtakes before we close the show. Um, In fact, uh, I don't even have that in the rundown, so that's an extra five minutes. There's no way we're getting in under an hour. Um, But on yeah. On to week one, uh, a week with a little bit of everything, right? Uh, a bunch of great games, and as uh, there always is when we go from preseason to regular season, there were some places where our preseason expectations were kind of smacked around a bit. Sure, I mean, that's the fun of the game. With the exception, though, of a few teams in the top ten, Mount Union, Wheaton, and St. John's, week one was filled with entertaining games. Close finishes, upsets, head-to-head clashes between top 25 or top 50 level teams. It was great. Uh, so, you know, if you reside outside of the D3 world, maybe all you heard about was the Johnny's 98-0 win over St. Scholastica on Saturday. But from, <laughs> but from where we sit, you know, those kind of games do nothing to entertain us, nor does it help us evaluate these teams. Now, clearly a coach's goal when making the schedule so shouldn't solely be to entertain. He does whatever he thinks will improve his team or maybe their costs or travel or open date considerations. So I don't want to start a podcast about a great week one off of the complaint, but I do want to point out the difference between Wisconsin Whitewater, John Carroll, Wesley Hobart, and St. John Fisher playing credible week one opponents and losing and what those aforementioned teams did. In North Central, another example, held off a comeback attempt from the 13th-ranked team in NAIA, Robert Morris, Chicago. Now, all six of those teams probably could have found someone to play who wouldn't have been much of a threat, that would have given their teams an opener against a real opponent but not endangered their playoff hopes or whatever the concern is. But this is what the AQ system was supposed to produce, the ability, should a schedule maker so choose, to challenge your team right out of the gate without ruining the shot at the postseason. 
Whitewater, John Carroll, Wesley, and Hobart were all conference winners last season in Pool A playoff teams. Um, only Whitewater out of those four teams, by the way, went unbeaten in the regular season. So I think their losses, especially given how far John Carroll and, and UW Oshkosh went after losing early games last season, are perhaps validation that we can have it all. You can play tough non-conference opponents, evaluate and improve your team, and entertain the fans at the same time. Yeah, I, I can't argue with you there. You know, we always advocate for tough non-conference scheduling, especially by contenders. Uh, and the selection committee the last couple of years has, again, shown it will consider eight and two teams with two good losses. Keith, if you look at St. John's schedule from a specific perspective, might you think that perhaps the Johnnies are concerned about going eight and two and not making the playoffs because, you know, they haven't beaten St. Thomas in a while and they've scheduled themselves in a position where they're going to win two non-conference games pretty easily? I mean, that's a fair consideration, and, and certainly it's um, if you can position yourself to probably go 9-1 and one and and not have to win the conference to get in, then maybe it makes sense to do that. But I think you mentioned the, uh, the, the selection committee has gotten a little more savvy over the past, I don't know, five or seven years. Or to two. The point, <laughs> or two. To, <laughs> or two. Um, but to the point where I think, Good teams, you know the the inclusion of Wisconsin Platteville, um, the third place team in the WIAC last season was was a great example um, of rewarding teams that played well, played tough competition, played well in in close games, even even losses. And so I, I feel like you know uh, John Carroll's obviously they won their conference last season, but that that's another team that at eight and two. May have been in the discussion if they were eight and two with a close loss to Mountain Union mm-hmm. and, a, and a season opening loss to, to Oshkosh. So I, I do think eight and two doesn't doesn't rule you out completely. It certainly doesn't if you win your conference. But the flip side, and this is what doesn't get discussed, is that if you win that game, that non conference tough game that you schedule early, now you're in great shape to give yourself a chance. If you do happen to not win your conference, you have that non conference win. Uh, against a strong team that will help you get in. And and we've seen now the past four or five seasons, in all seriousness, nine and one teams get left on the board regularly. Yeah. Uh, eight and one, eight and two. If you don't win your conference, it's a crapshoot, and you really need that signature win or at least to have played a tough schedule to, to get in as an at-large. Yeah, I guess if, if I'm only given one non-conference game to schedule in any given year, I'd like it to be against a team in the top 100, and I'm going to throw out the usual disclaimers that obviously you don't always know, you know, what the what the team is going to be like when you when you schedule them a couple years in advance. Uh, if I'm in a bad conference, then I'm looking to schedule someone more like uh, Wartburg or Frostburg State, uh, someone who's going to bolster my resume when my conference isn't going to do that. Yeah, and you know I don't want to particularly pick on Mountain Union. You know we've covered that ground before. They've got the the nine games locked in, and they only have one um, game they can schedule. But I will say that from our perspective, there's no reason to, to discuss the number one team in the nation on, on this week's podcast, right? I think on both of our ballots, um, there's no reason to discuss them this week except where the usage of their quarterbacks is concerned. And I think we can get to that in whatever we're calling the lightning round now. Yeah, we were so good at lightning rounds, but we should totally have a new name for that this year. You know, and St. John's is going to have this 98-0 to win over a solid program from Division III's weakest conference, and then a game against NAIA presentation, or is it presentation? Presentation, yeah, presentation, yeah. Um, of South Dakota, <laughs> uh, which used to be a total pushover, but rose to 7-3 and last season. So they'll have St. Scholastica presentation, and then Carlton. 
And then in week four, they're going to be ready to face St. Thomas at Target Field. I mean, I guess. Maybe they'll be healthy. Uh, the Tommies aren't exactly facing a murderer's row either, but at least they have two WIAC opponents on their slate. Yeah, and apparently this is the podcast where we just uh, discuss the pronunciation of NAIA schools. Listen, I, I don't care what the Johnny's score was. I, I do believe that they did their best to keep it in control once the schedule was made, but I would have liked to see them schedule somebody better. Can you imagine St. John's playing Oshkosh next week instead of the Johnny's playing presentation and, and Oshkosh playing Virginia Lynchburg? You know, uh, Oshkosh didn't schedule Virginia Lynchburg until like, seemingly like August 29th. Um, and, and St. John's didn't get a presentation on the schedule until deep into the off season. Uh, a, a Johnny's Oshkosh matchup was definitely possible. Yeah. And, and Oshkosh still has a two week break, but before it's whitewater game. So they, uh, they were still looking for games. Um, and, and we, you know, we see Wyack Mayak crossover frequently, uh, teams that want to schedule tough early opponents can, and, you know, even though the better you get, the harder it is to find teams who want to play you. Mary Harden Baylor and Linfield managed to find each other. Wesley and, and Whitewater and Oshkosh and North Central often seem to find quality early season competition. So it can be done. It almost seemed like we were on the verge of turning this into about an eight and a half minute rant at the top of the podcast. But um, it is something that uh, Keith and I, like I said, we've talked about it before. Uh, week one is an opportune time to talk about that. We talk about it now and we talk about playoff stuff now, even though Selection Sunday is, you know, still off in the distance there somewhere, because the NCAA committee looks at each of these games with uh, equal weight, basically. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not like the game in week one doesn't count as much as the game in week 11. They're all one of just 10 games that you have on your schedule. And if you're in a position to make the playoffs or to contend for the playoffs, I don't think you can afford to, uh, to give away one of those games or give away two of those games. Well, the, the reason why we're, we harp on it, too, and we're so excited about it is because look at how the, the Oshkosh and John Carroll game finished. That yeah. was a, a six-point game. Look at the Wesley-Delaware Valley game, 24-19. Uh, you had these great games across the country, overtimes and, and two-point conversion plays that, that changed the end of games. And that's sort of what all of us love, and it's a lot more entertaining than a 50-60 or, in some cases, almost a 100-point win. Boy, at least it wasn't 100, right? It was not, but it you know it was ninety eight zero I think at the ten oh six mark of <laughs> yeah. that game. Yeah, uh, one really bad snap by a, a long snapper for Saint Scholastica could have made that a hundred, no matter what Saint John's tried to do about it at that point. True. Uh, I should take this time to mention the Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by. That's the blank. That's nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches who need new equipment, who can influence decisions to replace turf, all sorts of things by sponsoring the Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I would definitely wax poetic about your product right here before our first break. Think about it. Drop me an email at uh, pat.coleman at d3sports.com. I get it. You know, we're not going to get uh, Blue Apron or Me Undies or those are actual things. Uh, Squarespace. Uh, that sort of thing, the, the, people's, the, uh, the people in the organizations that sponsor a lot of the big podcasts, you have lots of places to go reach those people. Where do you reach 249 schools that, uh, you know, everybody has turf or almost everybody has turf, um, but that has to be cycled out every eight to 10 years. Uh, I just this past week saw a, a field that was brand new and another field that really needs to be done right now. So, uh if you're uh, not trying to reach our audience through our podcast, you're missing it. 
It's time for Game Balls, where Keith and I spotlight a top individual performance each week. Uh, you know, maybe that's obvious, but hey, it's week one. I'm sure we've got new listeners, so I just throw the reminder in. And my Game Ball for the opening week is going to go to Ian Colsty, the quarterback from Whitworth. I got more than one note uh, on Saturday saying, hey, the Whitworth offense is scary good this year, and obviously that starts with the guy handling snaps. This guy threw five touchdowns all in the first 36 minutes of the game. He finished 37 for 45 for 473 yards and six touchdowns, and Whitworth had an easy time of it, certainly on offense and definitely on defense, and a 56-13 win at Central. Yeah, not for nothing, but that was the one kickoff feature that that uh, uh, didn't come through for we weren't able to, to uh, pull that one together in time to, to get it out the door, but... Uh, definitely a player that that uh, we wanted to highlight, and we will we will end up highlighting if he keeps uh, throwing for 473 yards and, and six touchdowns that's in uh, in games. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, for my game ball, there were so many candidates who seized clutch moments in Week One. As I mentioned, there were the four overtime games. There was a 42-yard field goal with 22 seconds left that kept Johns Hopkins alive, allowed them to beat Washington Lee in overtime. Uh, there was a two-point conversion tackle for North Central and a breakup on a two-point conversion pass uh, that, that saved the game for Rose Holman. But my game ball goes to the Illinois Wesleyan goal line defense. Twice, Wisconsin Whitewater fumbled on the one-yard one line, once in the first half, once in the final minutes. Both times, the Titans' Trevor Kepke recovered. Uh, and the difference between winning and losing is, is, is inches. Uh, Warhawks quarterback Cole Wilbur scrambled and dove for the goal line on the play before the key fumble recovery in the fourth quarter. He was down uh, and the ball popped loose. So that set Whitewater up on the one. And even though the fumble recovery was easy for Kepke, hats off to a defensive back making a heads up play on the goal line. Same deal with Jelani Hardy, the North Central corner who stayed home and made the tackle on the two point conversion against Robert Morris. DBs can sometimes be uh, left out. In the goal line package, unless they're defending a slant or a fade, but Kepke and Hardy made huge plays in run defense. My riser for the week is W&J for sure. This is a, a game that almost wasn't even an upset, wasn't an upset on a lot of people's ballots considering how many votes W&J got in the preseason poll. And we may have to accept that the the fact that there will be three ranked uh, teams in the President's Athletic Conference. Uh, I, this, Keith, uh, as uh, W&J beat uh, number 23, St. John Fisher, Alex Rouse, the new starting quarterback for the Presidents, didn't even have a stellar game. Uh, and they were still good. Uh, great uh, performance from the running game. Great performances on defense. And uh, W&J looks like a team that's going to be sitting in the pole for a while. Well, yeah, you mentioned the three pack teams. They don't uh, all play each other because there's 11 teams in that conference. So Thomas Moore, Case Western Reserve, and, and W&J, as you mentioned, they, uh, they may all stay ranked for much of the season. I agree, by the way, for my riser, W&J wasn't an upset on my ballot, and Frostburg State wasn't either, technically, since I had them 14th and Stevenson 17th on my preseason ballot. But unlike the other top 25 head-to-head -head battles, the Bobcats won definitively 33-7 and made a statement. The Bobcats really took control defensively in the final three quarters, limiting the Mustangs, a nine-win team last season, to 144 yards of offense and negative 30 yards rushing. Frostburg State also scored a defensive touchdown and, as a result, nearly crept into the national top 10. I also liked Whitworth, which, as you mentioned, gave Central the business after a 50-49 to home loss to open last season and Illinois Wesleyan for obvious reasons as risers this week. 
some of the places I like to look for sliders don't really come up for a couple of weeks. That's when uh, someone you beat earlier in the season doesn't look so good anymore. That doesn't work if you've only played uh, one game each after week one. Instead, uh, you can look at someone who won unimpressively. And for that, I'll start with Wittenberg, which won 20 to 14 at Westminster PA. It, like, it doesn't look like it was a particularly effective day on offense for the Tigers, but it remains to be seen whether that's because of Wittenberg or because of Westminster. To call back to something we chatted uh, about quite a bit at the top of the show, though, I like the scheduling choice. Westminster is a nice upgrade from uh, Capital for that one non-conference game for Wit. Yeah, for uh, for my slider, is it too obvious to use a team that lost unexpectedly? Uh, if it's not, I guess I'll choose Hobart, although probably should tip the hat there for for scheduling as well. Uh, that Brockport game was uh, was a, a bit of a surprise for us in the top 25, but um, but a pretty good first week opponent for both of those those teams. I think a team that managed to win. And uh, but not in that in not that impressive fashion, similar to Whitworth is uh, is UW Platteville. And that's my slider for the week. They didn't go too far down the ballot, uh, at least on my ballot. They went five spots down um, because the jury remains out on whether this means George Fox is good now. They were picked to go seven and three and kick off, if I recall correctly. And if you subscribed, you, you may have known that already. Yep. Uh, or, you know, whether the, the Pioneers just, just survived a scare, took their feet off the gas when they went up 27-7. Maybe I should be praising them for coming back with the game-winning field goal after falling behind 28-27. But considering the expectations set by their 35-0 win at George Fox last season, this final score will have us watching Platteville closely for possible reevaluation. Keith, I spent uh, way too long on the road this weekend way too long and had a long drive back on Saturday night, but I really enjoyed the atmosphere at the second game I attended on Saturday where Lakeland opened its new stadium in front of an overflow crowd. Perfect stadium for a small division three school, new grandstand. Uh, the turf is, is brand new. Obviously it is beautiful. Uh, the Lakeland uh, colors really pop on that, uh, on that new turf stellar sound system. I, I've never really talked about the sound system in a D three stadium before, but it was perfect for the size um, and after the Muskies 43-29 win versus Carroll, I talked with Lakeland coach Colin Bruton. All right, so big night for you guys, big night for the program, big night for the university. What's it like opening up this place, beautiful stadium, and considering the upgrade it is from what you guys had? Yeah, it was exciting. You know, as a coach, it's a little bit of nerves that there's a lot of distractions. It was, um, you know, we had this 1967 conference championship team coming back, so it was a celebration for them. And, the field and, and just everything going on, you know, there was a lot of talk on field and lights and turf and probably not enough focus um, on campus about Carroll. We knew they were going to be a quality opponent, but uh, just really excited with how we came out. I thought our first half was outstanding. Um, you know, we wanted to hit some, try to hit some vertical shots and we did. And uh, defensively, I thought we hung in there. You know, we're still a work in progress defensively, um, but we hung in there in the first half. But just overall, really exciting night for Lakeland football. So, yeah, we saw big plays on both sides of the ball. We'll start with uh, the big plays for you guys on offense. Um, I, I, Whitley was, uh, was just uh, waxing poetic about his wide receivers, and obviously when you got guys who can pull in a 99-yard or an 87-yard, there's, uh, there's a lot to like there. Yeah, we, we tell Michael all the time, you just got to be the point guard. Just make the good decisions, get the ball out when it's got to get out. And obviously, he's really special. You know, the things he does, I think he probably set another school record for total offense today, or it was really close. Um, you know, it's his. Uh, yeah, over, over five, 539 in total offense. Yeah, it's right around his record. He's got it, so it's, it's right around that number. But, uh, you know, we got some really talented receivers. We're deep there. 
Um, we got some guys that can really make plays. You know, Des Moore has been a, a three-year starter for us, and uh, he had a big game. But, but Jamal uh, hawkins Scaniers is, is a, a first-year, first-game starter for us. Um, and we knew he had some big play potential. We were excited about him. But to see him do it now on, on this stage is really exciting. How much freedom do you give Whitley to just freelancer do whatever or make changes at the line a, a ton he you know he's our he's our guy so we we tell him you know you're three years starter in the offense he knows it probably better than, than we do sometimes and when he sees something he wants to go to it we let him go to it and you know he's he's so smart you know he watches so much film during the week um really just prepares and you know he, I don't know if he wants to get into coaching, but he'd be an outstanding coach. Um, but everything we do kind of starts and ends with him. He's the guy that has to get us in the right calls, get the right checks, and then just make sure the ball goes to the right place. All right, other side of the ball, you guys gave up uh, two-thirds of your yards on three big plays. 62-yard uh, run at the very beginning of the game, 57-yard run, a 55-yard pass. Yeah, you know, we, we got to get better on that side of the ball. and That's, that's my side of the ball. And, um, you know, we had two fresh or two uh, first game starters at linebacker. Um, so Deontay Moses is probably the smallest starting linebacker in the nation right now. He's about 152 pounds. Um, and, and then Jerry Stokes, um, you know, was a first game starter. Deontay was our strong safety last year. We moved him inside. And, you know, we didn't fit the run right a couple times, um, which was upsetting. And then obviously um, we had a you know, younger corner in late in the game and, and got beat on the double move. And, and those are learning things. Um, but obviously for us to get to where we got to go, we got to get better defensively. We can't give up those chunk plays. And you know, I thought overall defensively we, we did a fairly good job, um, but those chunk plays are going to hurt you. And um, just like our offense here on the other side, you know, you know when, you hit, when you hit some big plays, you can score a ton of points. Coaching cliche, right, is that it's, uh, you, you make your biggest uh, impact, your biggest difference between game one and game two. So what are the things you're going to focus on for game two? You know, I, I think a lot of it is just continuing to, to build on what we've done. We have a bye week, uh, week two, so we, we're at hope. Uh, week three, we know they're going to be a quality opponent. We know they're going to try to pound the football, run the ball. So obviously defensively, those run fits, um, you know, fitting the run the right way, making sure we're gang tackling, um, and then making sure we're not getting with the big plays off of play action that, that they want to do. Um, and then I think offensively, just continuing to, to stay humble, um, know that we can continue to get better. You know, we only scored seven points in the second half, and that was disappointing. You know, we, we weren't trying to take our foot off the gas. Carroll did a good job, made some adjustments, and, and we had some three and outs. So just continuing to stay humble and, and know that for us to get to our ultimate goal, we have to be a better football team, um, certainly when we go to Hope and later on down the line. And that feeds into my hidden highlight for week one, Keith. It's Lakeland quarterback Michael Whitley hitting Jamal hawkins Sconiers. I, I heard that name pronounced so many times on Saturday uh, for a 99-yard touchdown pass. The Muskies were backed up to their own one-yard line after a, a bit of a snafu on a punt return. Of course, 99 yards. That tied the NCAA record for longest touchdown pass held by many since you can't throw one longer than 99. But it wasn't uh, the only long play Whitley had on offense either between that and another 87-yard touchdown catch. He's got some receivers who will go up and get the ball in coverage, and if you want to hear Whitley talk about that, there's a, a video interview in Saturday's National Roundup that you can watch for a little bit more, and you get a, a bit of a taste of uh, Michael Whitley as well. For my hidden highlight, how about the Rose Holman Illinois College ending? Seems like these two teams always play a game worth talking about on the podcast. This one got wild when Rose Holman broke a 26-all tie on a 63-yard scoring toss with 59 seconds left. Figure, all right, that's a good finish. Ah, but wait, there's more. Uh, Illinois College gets to the 30-yard line and has one final shot, and they hit him with the old hook and ladder for a touchdown as time runs out. Then the Blue Boys immediately decide to go for two, but the pass to the corner of the end zone is broken up by Rose Holman cornerback Alec Thompson, and the fighting engineers hold on for a 33-32 win. you got to get that fighting in there, Moy. They're, they're really fighting if you don't get fighting engineers in, in, uh, in their full name. 
I'm glad you appreciated that. I did. I did. It's one of those things now where it's it's one of those things that triggers me. It's like triggers the uh, the red flag that goes up for the uh, uh, you know for the old uh, copy editor genes. My double take for the week, I think, is basically the entirety of the Liberty League. Uh, it was almost uh, surprising. How about this for just a set of results? The current members of the Liberty League went one and four in week one. We've talked about Hobart. Uh, St. Lawrence lost and did not look good against Utica. Uh, Ithaca lost uh, after uh, holding an early lead against Alfred. Uh, meanwhile, the former Liberty League teams now playing in the new MAC, WPI, Coast Guard, Merchant Marine, went a combined 3-0 and on Saturday. Well, for my double take, um, you mean besides the St. Scholastica score, uh, besides Frostburg State crushing Stevenson, uh, St. Norbert and George Fox almost pulling upsets. All right, all right, hold on. The producers in my ear telling me I have to pick something. So I'll go with uh, Guilford beating Huntingdon by two touchdowns. The Quakers were coming off a four and six year while the Hawks were nine and one and in last year's playoffs. But it's a new season. Yet an old story. The ODAC seems to have the USA South's number, although Ferrum's 13-8 win over Emory and Henry on Saturday. I didn't follow the narrative. I think if you just think of uh, Ferrum as a, a pre-ODAC member, since they will be mm. next year, you could go with that. Uh, Hampton-Sydney barely beat Averett as well, although uh, at least they beat them. They did not last year. Uh, my stat of the week brings up an old familiar name, and that's Malik Presley of FDU Florham. You remember, uh, probably, you may remember him ripping things up in 2015. Last year, he tried to make the team at Mount Union, and... Well, there are no Malik Presley stats at Mountain Union for last year. So back at Florham, he helped Jagger Green, which is one of my favorite names for 2017, gash a few holes in the TCNJ defense. He went for 271 yards and three touchdowns on 16 catches. Green, 40 for 58 for 593 yards and five scores. There were plenty of receiving yards to go around. Two other guys had more than 100 yards receiving in that game, which was one of those Friday night games. I will add Jagger Green to the great name list. I have been keeping track, jotting down a few as as we edited kickoff and uh, as I read about these week one games here. Uh, River Schindeldecker is my other is my favorite one so Ooh. far. Defensive lineman, I think, for Wheaton. Okay, that's oh, yeah. We'll have to get we'll have to work that in as many as possible. <laughs> Somehow, I don't, I don't think um, it's probably not appropriate to use the name of a Wheaton player in the uh, in the D three football podcast drinking game. Ah, uh, wow. Reference to the no drinking on campus. All right. Uh, <laughs> stat of the week for me, Bellhaven won while rushing for a negative four yards. The 42-37 win uh, against Millsaps was win number five since coming over to Division Three to start the 2015 season. The negative four yards, by the way, was just three more or three not less than St. Scholastica, who rushed for negative seven and, as we've noted, did not win. Uh, this is uh, Hal Mummy's team, so the, their is it the air raid or the, yeah. That's... So it's it's not that weird for Bellhaven to not rush for a lot of yards, but it's certainly weird for a team to rush for uh, less than zero and still win. I wonder. if uh, Oh, I was just going to say, I wonder if uh, the St. Alaska St. John score has to be part of the drinking game. I don't even I don't even want to go there. And of course, you're drinking coffee, right? It's Monday morning, for goodness' sake. I got bonus stats for you uh, along kind of similar to stat of the week. Nichols uh, gained just 213 yards of offense but beat Westfield State 1913. And Rowan, just 230 yards of offense but beat Widener 6-0. Cue the joke about the Rowan bullpen here. Um, quick you misses. Make that one every year. I do. I just figure I had to get it in there or you were going to say something about me saying it because um, that's happened too. 
Um, quick misses, which is what we're going to call the quick hits that uh, didn't quite hit. Uh, a lot of the categories this week were not right or wrong type of questions, and maybe even that in and of itself is a miss, and, and I'll take that on me because I was the one to pick the categories. Uh, Adam and Frank, though, did not correctly pick teams to get upset, um, which, you know, usually is not difficult, but uh, a good number of us did. Adam's pick wasn't even ever really in danger as uh, Thomas Moore had Franklin well in hand by the second quarter of that game. Yeah, I think everyone hits on the game of the week candidates. And by the way, quick hits is our uh, predictions that go up every Friday morning. So if you're not familiar with those, it'll get you ready for the weekend. It'll, it'll let you know what you need to pay attention to besides the game that you're planning on going to on Saturday or Friday night, as it were. Um, for this, for week one's quick hits, I think everyone hits on the game of the week candidates. It was hard to go wrong with uh, with either the John Carroll, Oshkosh, or DelVal Wesley game, and those were the ones we all picked. Uh, you and I, Ryan Tips, and our guest, David DiPersio, each picked teams that were upset in week one. So if you want to know where to watch for week two's crazy upsets, I'm not saying we saw Illinois Wesleyan coming, but we did see uh, Hobart, we did see St. John Fisher, and some of those other teams uh, possibly losing, and it turns out they did. Uh, I'm not sure we called Hobart, but we did call St. John Fisher and Western New England. Oh, I briefly mentioned Hobart okay. in, as an aside. Did I? I didn't edit that out, did I? I don't think you did. Okay. Should I, should I look right now? I don't know. No, I, let's let's pretend. All right, our Twitter question this week comes from someone who seems to have created a Twitter handle just to get a question onto the show. And uh, Keith, it comes from D3 Football Fan. And the question is UWW just down this year or is IWU real deal? Kind of an obvious question, but uh, one it makes sense for people to ask. So we might as well at least uh, address this part of it too. Your take, Keith? Yeah, it's hard to project a full program up or downswing based off a single result. But I don't think that was as big an upset as it might have seemed to some. Illinois wasn't his legitimate program. It made playoff appearances in 2013, 2011, and 2009, and has been on the verge of beating Wheaton a couple times that I can think of off the top of my head while the Thunder were top 10. So I don't think the Titans beating a top 10 team is that outlandish, nor is a CCIW top three beating a WIAC top three. The greater cause for concern for UW-Whitewater is that offense is where the majority of the returning starters were, and they rushed for a mere 42 yards at 1.2 per carry against the Titans. Now, on one hand, Whitewater folks have to figure they don't fumble three times, including twice on the one-yard line, and lose all three very often. That's just bad fumble luck. But it also sounds like Illinois Wesleyan thought this was going to be somewhat of a young team that needed to grow a bit early in the season. So to score this upset in week one would be cause for optimism or concern, depending on your perspective. Bad fumble luck. That sounds like... um... I don't know that sounds like a name of a town at some bend in the road in some state, which I probably shouldn't name for fear of alienating uh, a good portion of the listenership. Um, talking about the rushing yards, uh, Drew Patterson, 14 carries for 18 yards on Saturday. Um, I was at Ripon when that final came in. A, a guy was looking over my shoulder at the box score and was just flabbergasted by that because uh, that is very un-Drew Patterson-like. I, I think it's premature to even state with that much certainty that UWW is down this year. Certainly they're down this week, uh, but if those guys over there figure out how to offense or hold on to the football, uh, I wouldn't count them out. Uh, you want to take another question, Keith? Yeah, it's weird that you mentioned that because I noticed that two, at least two, had come in uh, since. Um, yeah, since since we uh, made the call and started recording the podcast, we're we're flexible, right? 
Um, let's take the SAA one, though, which is uh, by uh, Mark T. Hickey or maybe by Mark Thickey. That's a, an unfortunate uh, confluence of letters there. Any thoughts on the SAA's weekend? Do the week one results change any thoughts on the contenders for the league? Uh, I, I don't I don't think so. I mean, the main score we paid close attention to was was Barry, um, which which beat Maryville in another one of the pretty good week one matchups, close game. Um, and that was the that was the one that I think, you know, we sort of expected um, that to be somewhat of a close game. And, and the impressive thing for me from for Barry was, uh, you know, big player guy. We highlighted a bunch in kickoff, made one of the huge game turning plays and uh, in Mamadou Samahoro. The, the other thing I noticed was that the SAA champion from last season, uh, Wash U, which is now playing this season as independent, didn't fare so well in week one. Hendricks, I just never know what to make of Lyon College, so I can't really evaluate that result. Rhodes, obviously a very close game against Willamette, who we think is going to be uh, below middle of the pack in the Northwest Conference this year, but they had to fly, you know, two-thirds of the way across the country to do it, so I guess I'm not too um, too concerned by the fact that maybe they only won that game by three. I think we thought Rhodes would be pretty good. We thought center would be good, and and we and we expect Barry to be good. So um, all three of those teams won. How impressive the wins are, yeah, kind of kind of remains to be seen. I mean, I I guess I'd be most impressed by Rhodes uh, going out to win at Willamette. I think that was one of the quick hits pits, picks that I was wrong about. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's just a, it's a little early to make sweeping judgments from from week one and I think that's how we answered the last question as well but I do think the whole conference winning except for um except for Trinity out at Redlands is uh is sort of eye-opening you know because now you wonder is is Sewanee gonna you know under a new coach are they gonna be a factor you know they're probably not gonna jump right up to to division or conference championship status but, you know, do they knock somebody off along the way? Birmingham Southern, same thing. New coach, early win. Are they going to be a problem for somebody in the middle of the pack? I think that's really where the where the, the information from week one is so far. But I think the top teams performed like top teams. Keith, I've also pulled another piece of uh, D3 memorabilia out of the Craig Burroughs collection. I, I don't think I can make a lot of sound out of this. No? Yeah? Yeah, that's not very helpful. Uh, but for the uninitiated, this is a large set of college football memorabilia that was given to me by the family of Craig Burroughs, who used to basically barnstorm the country covering college football at all levels. Uh, we saw him on the D3 trail a lot. So I've got boxes of this stuff in my garage, uh, and I've been going through it. Uh, what I've sent over to you, Keith, is a, a screenshot of a game program from 1982 between Montclair State and New York Tech. Uh, of course, for some reason, it has what I believe to be an Iowa Hawkeye on the cover um so that that's kind of interesting the uh, the first thing that really jumped out at me was the game ticket stub in 1982 for four dollars uh, where did if if you're paying four dollars for a d3 game in 1982 that thing needs to have like uh seat side service and chair backs and you know none of those things that actually happened in game in sporting events in 1982 yeah four dollars pretty steep isn't it? Four dollars in nineteen eighty two. I bet if I went back through um my old uh MLB game programs, we wouldn't have paid that much for a uh a, t- a Tigers game or something we would have gone to in eighty two. Um Montclair State in that season, as I went through the schedule, played East Stroudsburg, Central Connecticut, uh, along with Ramapo and Jersey City State, who are and Jack schools who no longer have football. And uh, you know, 
Keith, God, Rick Giancola has been around forever, but this program was uh, under the previous coach. Yeah, I mean, I think Rick Giancola is probably the uh, the dean of of D three coaches now, or, or awful awful close to the top. He's uh, took over in eighty three, won two hundred and thirty four games, and is the winningest active coach in D three. That's for sure. Long enough ago that uh, this was under Coach Fred Hill, who I learned about today in this program. Uh, Montclair State was still called the Indians, but it was post-Sam Mills. And if you don't know about Sam Mills, you should know about Sam Mills. So I'm not going to... Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to... Yeah. <laughs> That's not my job. Well, maybe it is, but not today. Go go watch that uh, Football Life, right? Wasn't there a Football Life documentary on Sam Mills? Now, see, you're a, you're a step ahead of me on that. I have no idea. Every thought of yours Keith and I both liked this music track, and uh, even though the uh, uh, we, we thought maybe the vocal was a little strange, and then thought, you know what? Every thought of yours works perfectly for lightning round or two-minute drill or whatever you want to call the the odds and ends at the end of the show. So uh, I uh, I got my 153rd, 154th, 155th, and 156th teams this week, and uh, my 94th and 95th campus. I'm still keeping track of. Uh, all the schools that uh, I've been to, all the uh, D3 football teams that I've seen. Um, I, I don't even remember if that counts the half dozen who I've seen who no longer play football, but um, I'm, I'm still keeping track. Keith, I never leave a game early except for uh, one time you and I were intentionally seeing a, a split doubleheader at uh, Benedictine and at Elmhurst, but I had to on Saturday. I started the game at the Concordia Chicago Ripon game, but a long lightning delay in the third quarter uh, kind of put me and uh, D3 Photo, D3 Photography.com's Larry Radloff in danger of uh, missing the kickoff at Lakeland. So we bailed. Uh, Rippon was down 28 to six when I left, but uh, scored twice after. Still lost uh, 28 to 20, but I'm, I'm still keeping track and still trying to knock teams off the list. I want to see all 200 and however many teams it ends up being by the time I finish, sometime in uh, the 2030s. Yeah, I mean, but it, I'm impressed. You're now three fifths of the way done D3, but uh, but it still means you have roughly a hundred schools to get to, which is bizarre and amazing at the same time. Uh, also, you're still making progress, which I've stopped making. I somewhere in the 90s or 80s or I don't know where. <laughs> but uh, but I, you know, but I started working oh. weekends, and it, it was a lot more tough for me to travel. So uh, so I'm impressed. I thought that, you meant. Uh, I thought you meant that you stopped making progress in the 1990s. I totally misunderstood that. Oh, well, I mean, I, life's all been downhill since college graduation, of course. But um, no, that's not true. That's not true at all. Every thought. I have a new thought. Um, Hartwick had two wide receivers average 30 yards per catch on at least six catches. Uh, and and um, each caught three touchdowns. But... It lost when it missed a point after after the last of those touchdowns, uh, the Hawks' seventh overall, and then gave up a go-ahead score and successful point after in the final two minutes in a 48-47 loss against Western Connecticut. Here's a thought. I, I'm thinking I'm super excited about Nicholas Morrow getting onto the 53-man roster at linebacker for the Oakland Raiders. This is a guy who was playing safety for Greenville, one of the bottom 40 maybe bottom 20 teams in Division Three last year, but he's the perfect example of that phrase, right? The scouts will find you. Uh, I'm bummed about Joe Callahan getting cut by the Packers, but surely he will end up on someone's practice squad, probably Green Bay's. You may know this before you hear this podcast. 
Uh, he had that great highlight uh, against the Eagles in week one where he spun out of uh, – he was being closed down on by Rush. He spun backwards out of it and, and threw like a 30-yard pass on the fly. So you see why, uh, why NFL teams – uh, still like Joe Callahan, the former Wesley quarterback. I mentioned uh, how great those that uh, Rose Holman Illinois college game is like every week one. Here's a couple other matchups that seem to be good uh, pretty much to start every season. Salisbury and Albright. This time uh, the Seagulls, they went backwards in overtime and missed a field goal attempt from 48 yards and a three-point loss to the Lions. Uh, and then Dubuque, which uh, plays Bethel in week one. Their defense got a stop in overtime to hang on and beat Bethel after its kicker missed a PAT in the first part of the second overtime, sort of the opposite of what happened in the Stevens Point-St. Norbert game where um, Stevens Point gave up the go-ahead touchdown. It was 33-27. They start celebrating because they blocked the extra point. And I'm thinking to myself, well, why are they celebrating? They just, gave, they just went down by six. And then first play – Touchdown, kicked the point after. Literally less than a minute of real time, they'd won that game. They they definitely knew what they were doing when they celebrated the block. I didn't know. Uh, that's another game that uh, took a, took some of that uh, central Wisconsin lightning to get through before they could even get started. Uh, we knew Coe would take a step backwards after graduating Gillardi finalist Trevor Heitland at running back, but it was pretty far backwards. Coe ran for only 37 yards on 37 attempts, completed just 9 of 27 passes, but the defense intercepted three passes and recovered two fumbles as Kobe beat River Falls 13-9. And River Falls was one of those teams we thought might make a, a little bit of a step forward to to above 500 this season. So uh, Hanging on to the football definitely would help. All right. Uh, Bridgewater beat Gettysburg on a 65-yard touchdown pass with 50 seconds left. I would say, good Lord, man, stay deeper than the deepest. But it was a catch and run by Corey Joachim, that's how I'm going to pronounce his name. I don't, I've don't. i never heard it pronounced before. I've only read it. Um, but that catch and run, uh, the 65-yarder, uh, turned out to be the game winner in a 27-24 Bridgewater win against Gettysburg. Just one more great ending in a week one full of them. So had to mention it here. So, Keith, the new music this week. Tell us about uh, DJ Mentos, your friend, the fresh beat maker. Uh, well, you, you, you made the connection between Mentos and those uh, – was that, I don't know if the 90s or early 2000s commercials yeah. where Mentos was the fresh maker. So that's his, uh, that's his thing. He's a, a good friend of mine, uh, actually from Randolph-Macon. So he's a D3 guy himself, although he didn't play football. Um, and he's, uh, he's made music pretty much since the, since the late 90s and sometimes sends, sends me some of the music um, that he's working on. And because he has, he has this big catalog now, since he's been doing it for so long, he he let us uh, pick a couple of his old beats and uh, refresh our podcast music, which I probably should have thought of sooner. But I'm glad that Pat, you were open to it. Uh, now we're like a little uh, a little more. I don't want to say hip because, like I said last week, once you say you're hip, you're probably not hip at all. But uh, but we're definitely uh, I, I enjoy the music, so uh, I'm glad um, you know we get to add it. And and if you like it. Uh, go check my, my man out at djmentos.com. One game that happened back on Thursday, but otherwise uh, we're not going to have another place to mention it here. We have to at least touch more on uh, Delaware Valley beating the actual team from Delaware, Wesley, in the opening weekend for a second week in a row. Wesley did recover to get to the playoffs last year. However, they just seem to still lack that uh, offensive consistency they had for many years under Callahan and many, many quarterbacks before him. Yeah, I will say that Wesley does this every year. They lose an early game and then they rally and make the playoffs. 
but they also have always had a quarterback. They they went from maybe like 2004. It was like Chris Wark and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to get all the names wrong with wrong order if I try to do this. Shane, uh, Shane McSweeney. Um, Jason Chats. Sonalari. I mean, they always they always had a guy waiting in the wings. And last year was the first year they, they kind of had to work out their quarterback issues during the season. And I thought in the preseason, one of the reasons I was, you know, able to put them in the 10, you know, somewhere in the teens in, in the preseason ballot was I thought they'd figured out uh, what they wanted to do at quarterback with with Nick Falkenberg. But uh, I believe in that game in week one, they they were still playing more than one quarterback. And I don't know if that was um, I, I should have looked should have did the knowledge on this before opening my mouth. But um, I don't know if that was by circumstance or or by plan. But um, but from far away, it seems like a very typical Wesley start. I wouldn't worry too much about them. I, they'll they'll find a way to at least be competitive late into the season. My next thought, um, Milliken beat Greenville 76-3, which would have been the, oh, dear Lord, result of the week, if not for the St. John St. Scholastica game. That one was 43 or 48-3 at halftime. Hey, Pat, uh, guess who Greenville hosts next week? Uh, I'm going to guess that's someone that the uh, website SEC Country had never heard of until Saturday night. Yeah, one team that suffered an embarrassingly large week one loss will get over it in week two, and the other will have lost to a team coming off a 73 or 98 point loss. So the football gods are clever sometimes. Oh, you football gods! <sighs> any other any other thoughts? I think I'm about out. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, we got a great game. We got a. I shouldn't say great. It's we have an okay week next week. <laughs> we have a week. Um, we have a week coming up. Yeah, it's really not a great week. Week three is probably going to be a lot better than week two, but there are some games of interest, uh, not the least of which are Mary Harden-Baylor, defending national champion, kicks off the season. Uh, Harden-Simmons and Linfield, top 10 teams all open up as well. Those were, were top teams that didn't play in week one. Their opponents are so not inspiring that I didn't even put them in the rundown. Well, uh, Mary Harden-Baylor is playing Sol Ross State, right? Yeah, true. Someone that we think may be pretty good this season. Uh, Harden Simmons is playing Texas College in Linfield. I'd have to I'd have to look it up. That's how that's how excited I am for this week too. Uh, Cal, Linfield. Cal Lutheran. Oh, I should be more excited Maybe. if it was Cal Lutheran. I don't think that I don't know if that's true. I could be just making that up. I'm picking random uh, random uh, Skyac teams right now as I click and click and it's Chapman. Yes. Well, we probably should we probably should care more about that game. But um, all three of those teams are are up. Uh, next week for the first time. Here's one that um, may be a mirror image of week one. UW-Whitewater's at Concordia-Moorhead, and the Cobbers are basically the Mayak version of the CCIW team the Warhawks just lost to in that they sort of finished third, seven, eight wins, um, but they just, they for some reason, are the team in, in the Mayak that just can't break through to the playoffs. They have St. Thomas or St. John's or whoever's the hot Mayak team in, in a given year. They'll have that team on the ropes and not be able to close it out, or they'll beat one of them and then, and then uh, you know, not be able to squeak into the playoffs. So they're basically the Illinois Wesleyan of the Mayak. Yeah, so if you took the SAT like 10, 15 years ago to 80 years ago, uh, Concordia Moorhead is to the Mayak as Illinois Wesleyan is to the CCIW. Wow, that's impressive. Can I give you a little slow golf clap for that one? Oh, slow and golf. Damn, that's a that's that's doubly bad. Thank you. 
St. John Fisher is at Hobart in week two. And one of these preseason top 25s is going to be 0-2. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in the same area of the country, Ithaca at Brockport. Brockport with a surprising, um, or somewhat surprising, not all that surprising, depending on who you ask. Uh, week one win over Hobart. Ithaca nearly knocked off Alfred in week one before Alfred won that game 2017. Uh, another interesting game in Concordia Moorhead's part of the country. Bethel at Carthage. Carthage is a team, that, another CCIW team that may be on the rise this season. And then you got a couple of uh, rivalry games. Uh, WPI, I'm sorry, RPI is at WPI playing for the Transit Trophy. And Co. And Cornell, that's the oldest small college rivalry west of the Mississippi, if I have that correctly. I think so, uh, it, yeah. Yeah, that one's been – it's been an insignificant uh, game competitively for so long that I've forgotten the correct – I think that's the right uh, – That sounds the, like the thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Luther's going to christen that blue turf. Uh, the Norse are hosting uh, St. Olaf. Uh, again, that's a – we, that's someone we talked to Coach Hafner on the July podcast. I say that's right. So I've been looking forward to that. I think I'm going to head down there. And here are some games where somebody will win. And, and these are teams, you know, we, we should have mentioned this earlier, honestly. Um, Adam Turr gave it a pretty good run in uh, in Sundays. Is it still Snap Judgment? Sundays around the nation. Yeah, Snap Judgment still. All right, just making sure we, you know, we <laughs> changed so many category names. I didn't know if we changed. I, I just skipped right over the headline, started reading. I couldn't wait to dig into Adam's uh, analysis. Um, he touched on how Wilmington won its first game uh, under a new coach, and that and that was a 19-game losing streak that they'd broken. Same thing with Sewanee in week two. Someone will win when Lawrence goes to Finlandia. Finlandia just a couple years from uh, from starting up in D3 and and has had a pretty tough go of it greensboro at gallaudet someone's got to win that one and Kenyon at oberlin those are north coast teams that some years they rise up some years they struggle uh somebody's definitely going to win that one and then of course saint scholastica and greenville the teams of the very bad week one losses somebody will win that one next week keith should we run the the famed 10th anniversary clips now or after the credits uh, before the credits, do it before the credits. Yeah, because if you turn if you turn out tune out at the credits in any podcast, I'm just saying that's uh, that's a bad idea. There's often stuff after the credits, um, so let's uh, let's roll some audio tape. Hello and welcome to D3Football.com's weekly Around the Nation podcast. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And we'll round up the previous week in Division Three football and get you ready for what's coming up. Are you guys really 39 points better than, did I get the math right? Yeah, 39 points better than Linfield? No, I don't think so. You know, I think if we all do it again, you know how that goes. So now you got number two going down, number three going down, and then we had number four play number seven yesterday in the little brass bell game. Uh, could, you do, could you do Stevenson at Lyco? Do you think you could get from uh, from Williamsport to Pittsburgh? Probably not. No, no you it, can't get from Williamsport to anywhere, unfortunately, just because it's so far from the interstate. That is a good point. God, as much as I would have loved to see Lyco more often when I was living in the Mid-Atlantic, it's just like you, you get to Harrisburg and then you're on US-15 for forever. I'm going to throw one more question at you. Um, one more open-ended one. We... Maybe I'll just lift that couple minutes out and we'll have a separate two-minute podcast. Probably not. First, I want to say what's up to Keith. 
I don't know if just one player would cut it. If it's the entire secondary or the entire defense, well, that's more Keith's style anyway to award a game ball to as many players as possible. Oh, yeah, I'm getting to that. Uh, but but you got Maurice Harrion? I wanted to get Maurice Harrion. <laughs> I'm working without benefit of a teleprompter, but might I say, it's about time we get a bracket that looks like this. I am so good at lightning rounds! Every white boy in the 80s thinks they can beatbox. Yeah, they see. It just doesn't work the second time around. Well, if you happen to drop it in there, I'll laugh. Milliken in North Park. Hey. Hey, North Park. The best of the parks. <laughs> East Park. It's really bad about that. <laughs> West Park gets... Yeah, but they're in the NAIA, so... Everything happens in Division Three, uh, And here's the latest case in point, Keith. Everyone was buzzing on Saturday night about Miami's comeback win versus Duke. Best play they've ever seen and stuff like that. Indeed, it had a whole eight laterals, which Keith leaves it seven short of the miracle in Mississippi when Trinity defeated Millsaps in 2007. We have so many games. Everything that you could ever want has seems to have happened in a Division Three game. So mm. many tabs, so little time. Mm, tab. <laughs> now that's 80s. <Yeah. laughs> Disgusting. Before we get into this podcast, I have to call a penalty on Keith McMillan for premature tweeting. Uh, he tweeted that the Concordia Moorhead uh, game was over, that uh, the Cobbers had won, and so uh, I'm going to have to have you. Uh, I'm going to have to penalize you for 15 yards, take that touchdown off the board, and sit you out for the first five minutes of the podcast. Yep. Well, I probably deserve it. I've been tweeting since 2009, and it's amazing that I haven't stuck my foot in my mouth or my tweet fingers in my mouth prior to that. Your two-minute drill begins now. And we're here with our take on week seven of the Division Three football season, coming to you from Midway Airport in Chicago, Illinois. It's be a good week for a Back to the Future reference. Uh, I suppose, but it's kind of played. It should have been last week. That's true try to hop in the DeLorean and go back to last week and put it in that podcast. Ooh, I see what you did there. That's what we should have done. We should have found out who was playing on October 21st, 1985. Well, these are things that take preparation. Uh, well, yeah. nothing in Juneau, I'm assuming. Yeah, nothing in Juneau, Alaska. We're, we're, that's true. Well, well where uh, even is that? Sitka's also in Alaska. So I spent some time over the past week listening to old Around the Nation podcasts um, because, you know, I just wanted to hear what they sounded like. First of all, you and I are a lot older. Secondly, thank God for Skype. You remember we used to do it? You would record your half, I'd record my half, and then I would spend two hours kind of stitching them together at 3 o'clock in the morning. I do remember that. I remember we did it on Ustream one year, too, I think. I knew I was opening myself up for a really long answer when I threw out an extra question to ask you to explain everything about defense um, in the lightning round. Stay tuned throughout the week for all the rest of the stuff that we do. You probably know what it is because we say it every week. And so thanks for giving us an hour of your time here on Monday morning or afternoon or Tuesday or whenever you've listened to the Around the Nation podcast. Go out and vote. Make sure to exercise your right to vote because... Otherwise, what's democracy all about? I totally thought you were talking about play of the week. Vote for play of the week, but that's a that's a three-hour window on Sunday nights. This is your future we're talking about. This is your Around the Nation podcast for the wrap-up of week one. For Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman. Thanks for listening to the Around the Nation podcast.
This was Around the Nation podcast number 173 for the week of September 4th, 2017. Thanks for listening. And of course, keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts that will help other football fans find it. Executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos with other music in this week's episode from Video Copilot and Bensound.com. Thanks to our guests, Colin Bruton and uh, Sports Information Director Adam Glatzak at uh, Lakeland University for their time on this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football. We, we talk about Division Three football, not just on this hour or so podcast every week. Uh, we do it on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. And really, you know, if we've had a hashtag for a decade that's nice and short, why would you take and try to create a larger, longer hashtag? That makes no sense. Uh, I'm at D3Football on Twitter. Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook as well. We have all sorts of content new to d3football.com each week during the season, so look for the d3football.com Play of the Week on Mondays, maybe on Tuesday this week uh, because of the holiday. Around the Region columns on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Adam Turr's Around the Nation columns on Thursdays. Our weekly quick hits predictions on Friday. And, of course, wall-to-wall game coverage on Saturdays. New top 25 poll on Sundays and uh, snap judgments on Sundays. Hey, that is seven days a week where we, mostly me, dropping new stuff onto this website for you. So come check it out, share it with your friends. And thanks for listening to the Around the Nation podcast from D3Football.com. I referenced something that we're going to come back to later in the podcast. and then <laughs> That we didn't ne- do. <laughs> never. Um, but at least I remembered it. <laughs> it well, was the... Um, reference it now. It was the um, quarterback rotation in Mountain Union. Oh, yeah, that's which, right. Which, um, right, D'Angelo... Fulford. I just assume they rotate uh, in a 58 nothing win because you can play everybody in a 58 nothing win or in a 98 to nothing win. <laughs>